following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Well, I'm excited about this morning's message. And uh, Pastor Rob found this technological thing that was able to figure out how many words I said in a 38-minute sermon. It was a lot. So that's partly because I'm excited and I talk faster when I'm excited. And so this morning I'm excited. So I'm going to try my best to slow it down and make sure I'm not going too fast. If you have your copy of the Scripture, join me if you would in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, verse 7. Don't worry, the words will be up on the screen and there's Bibles underneath the pew in front of you. The other day I was uh, having devotion with my kids and, and just talking with them. And one of my, my youngest son, Carter, asked me a pretty astonishing question for a seven-year-old to ask. He said, why do people who believe in Jesus sometimes stop following Him? Oh man, and I scrambled to come up. I came up with the easy answer first, but and it really gave me something uh, to think about. And the first thing I said was, "Well, sometimes this is the easy one. It's not. It's not fun to say, but it's the truth. Sometimes people uh, appear to be believers in Jesus Christ for a time, but then fall away." Somebody did a study on this, and I couldn't relocate it, but it was a reputable source, and they said, on average, forty percent of the people that go to church on Sunday are not, in fact saved. They are not born again. And so to see someone fall away is not, uh, it really shouldn't shock us, although it is sad. In fact, Jesus himself talked about this when he talked about the the parable of the sowers. You may remember it. A sower goes out to sow seeds, and he is the sower. And I think when we go out and share the word of God, we're doing the same thing. But a sower went out to sow seeds, and they're throwing out the seed of the Word of God, and sometimes that seed, perfectly stated, still hits the heart, and it bounces off it like seed bouncing off of stone. It has no impact. And then there's others that the Word of God lands, but for a time everything looks good, but immediately Satan comes in and steals that Word of truth from their heart and mind. I don't know how he does it exactly. Perhaps he talks them out of it. Uh, one of the things that's become cool amongst younger Christians is to deconstruct their faith. And the biblical word for that is apostasy, but usually it means talking yourself out of believing what you know to be true. So Satan does that. And there's other things leading people uh, into, you know, Jesus is cool, but sin is fun. So we're going to go that route. And then there's another seed that lands on us hard that doesn't, It gives root, but the roots just don't grow deep. And so for a time it bears fruit and then falls away when hardship comes. And so when you look at this, my son asked a profound question. And I bet if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have wrestled with that question. In fact, there's a chance that you yourself have been tempted or perhaps for a time have stopped following Jesus, but he called you back to him. Just speaking about, sometimes a person comes to faith in Jesus and they start to follow Him and somebody told them that everything was going to go smoother if you follow Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, when I read the Bible, I don't see that. In fact, he, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. And so sometimes a person becomes a believer and they, they get, they're excited and they go home and they tell their spouse. And like my friend, 
friend Doug's heard he had just been married for maybe a day or two, maybe three. And his wife said, hey, if you're getting religion, I'm, a go- I'm gone. He said, well, I, I, I'm following Jesus. I'm gone. With the next day, she went out and filed for divorce papers immediately. And so opposition comes when you think you're going to follow Jesus, everything's going to go smoother, and you find that that's not always the case. Sometimes a business person, they start to live for Jesus, and, and it's obvious, and all of a sudden they find that opportunities start to dry up. Doors start to shut in their face. And then sometimes a person follows Jesus and they experience well, failure. They lose. They experience loss. I have pastor friends who have gone out to plant churches, and I won't call them failures, but it did not go as they hoped. And so they didn't feel right. In fact, one of them for a time after the church that he tried to start didn't really work out. I wasn't sure that he was following Jesus at all. And I was grateful when I saw him begin to spring back to life. But failure, sometimes life just gets hard. If somebody had this idea that following Jesus would make everything go smoothly in this life, even though the Bible says otherwise, Jesus himself is otherwise. Life got hard, jobs sometimes disappear on you, doors shut in your face girlfriend breaks up with you because you are following Jesus. Friends think you're weird so because you believe in Jesus and they don't want to answer your phone calls anymore. Life gets hard. Health goes sideways and sometimes we just feel like we're always losing when we follow Jesus. What are we as Christians to do? What are we to think when it following Christ gets hard and it feels like we're always losing. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news at all over the last, I don't know, few years. Uh, it, we used to be tolerated and welcomed at, at certain points, and now not so sure. The people in the media, the people in government aren't sure that our ideas as Christians are, are really worth considering. And so you start to feel like you're losing. And so what do Christians to do? What are we to think? Here's what I think Jesus says to us this morning. Even when you f- we feel like we are fighting a losing battle, Jesus encourages us to stay faithful to him. That is precisely what he tells to this church that we read about in F- Revelation 3, verse 7. The Philadelphia church, it's in Asia Minor, not Pennsylvania. The Philadelphia church was weak and poor. They had doors slammed shut in their faces. Their neighbors and friends started to think they were weird and losers because they wouldn't go along to all the fun stuff they used to do. And now that they're following Jesus, they don't go to the, can I say it at a family church, the temple prostitutes. That's what they did. You think America's gotten bad morally? (laughs) You should study ancient Rome. Thankfully, we pale in comparison to ancient Rome for now. But they suffered for Christ, and I believe we're tempted to give it all up. I mean, how could you not have been tempted? In Revelation 3, 7 through 13, Jesus gives his assessment of the church in Philadelphia. He praises them and encourages them to remain faithful. He also gives them hope by reminding them who he is. Knowing who Jesus really is encourages us to stay faithful to Him even when it is hard. Even when it seems like we're always losing. 
Let's read Revelation 3, 7 through 13 together, and let us be reminded of who Jesus is so that we too might be encouraged to stay faithful. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Revelation 3, 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world, on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word from Jesus. We pray that it would have its intended effect, that it would encourage us to remain strong in our faith and continue to follow him, to hang on. We pray for encouragement this morning as we look at you and see the exalted Jesus sitting on his throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are people in my life whom I love and care about, who follow Jesus well, but who ceased to follow Him. Some have stated publicly that they no longer believe, and I believe them that they are trying to say they no longer believe. Others have not made such a statement, but to look at their lives, I don't see evidence that they are following Jesus in any meaningful way. Perhaps you know people like that. Perhaps there are people you love and care about who right now don't seem to be following Jesus at all. Perhaps you yourself are like that. So when we come across this, when we encounter this in the Christian life, what are we to do when we have friends and loved ones who know Jesus, but for whatever reason aren't following Him in any meaningful way? Do they need rebuke? I suppose there is a time and a place for that. The Bible calls for that. But here what we see in Revelations 3, 7-13 through is Jesus encouraging struggling Christians to stay faithful to Him. He reminds them of who He is because essentially it's this, I'm worth following. I'm worth staying with even when it costs me. In verse 7, He reminds us that He is the sovereign Son of God who is in control. Look at verse 7 again. And to the angel in Philadelphia, that angel most likely references the primary speaker of the church, the words of the Holy One, the True One, 
who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. What do we just see there? You can miss it if you're reading it quickly and don't catch it. The Holy One. That's a word we hear a lot in church. I don't know that we fully grasp its implications, but to give you a simple explanation that will go a long way, to be holy means to be set apart unto God, to to not be tainted by sin. Holiness implies being special to God, unstained by sin. As Christians who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, His death on the cross paid for our sin debts, and now we are declared to be righteous, holy. But here's the thing. I might be considered holy by God, but I'm not holy because I am holy. I am holy because Jesus is holy. And His holiness covers me the way the light of the sun covers the moon. The moon doesn't generate any light, but the sun reflects off of it. In the same way, if any Christian is actually holy, because the holiness of Christ reflects the way the sun reflects off of the moon. So Jesus is the Holy One. In and of Himself, He is holy. No one made Him holy. He wasn't declared to be holy. He is that. And because of that, when we are covered in sin, we can't be near Him. He's the Holy One, the True One. Listen, you could be a person that has determined on a policy of truth, you will say the truth no matter what, so help me God. But here's the thing, even if you manage to pull that off, you know what? Honest men sometimes get deceived themselves and accidentally deceive others. None of us is perfect. Jesus, however, is perfect. He's holy. He also has the keys of David. What does this mean? Well, it's a reference to the fact that he is the Messiah and the promises made to David that he would always have a son who sits on the throne has come true in Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin. Born into the house of David. He has the keys of David. And he opens and no one shuts and he shuts and no one will open. Translation, that means he's in charge. He holds the keys. Jesus reminded this church who he is and that he is in control even when things seem out of control. The church in Philadelphia certainly felt like things have gotten out of control. He's reminding them that he is sovereign. He is God. The sovereignty of God is one of the most reassuring doctrines in the Bible. Theologians like to argue about it, but oh, I'm over here saying I just want to be encouraged by it. That God is in charge. He's in control. Because it tells us that no matter what happens on the news tonight, no matter what they say tomorrow on the news about this country is attacking this country and this weapon has been created and there's this pandemic and that problem, those problems are real, but they are not in control. God is. And that gives me encouragement. God opens doors of opportunity that enable us to bring Him maximum glory. Jesus is the one who opens and shuts doors. And He opens doors in our lives to enable us to bring Him maximum glory. And sometimes He shuts doors. He opens doors. Last week there was a football player from the New Orleans Saints. He had an amazing experience. I say amazing, but I'm sure it was was traumatic. He's watched as the ambulance rolled away with his daughter in the back, and it didn't look good. But 
God answered prayers and she was healed. And so after the football game at a press conference, he saw that he had an open door. And he said, I'm going to do something that's unorthodox. It's not traditional. Sunday is the Lord's day. And we should be worshiping the Lord. But sometimes as a pro athlete, we go out there and it's almost like we're worshiped. And I want to talk to you about Jesus, the one who knocks on doors. This morning, Jesus might be knocking on the door of your heart. And that is an opportunity for you to come to Him for salvation. But in our lives as Christians, we have to wrestle with this reality that God is sovereign. Sometimes He opens doors and sometimes He shuts them. When a door shuts, it was under His plan. It was under His plan. So the church in Philadelphia had had lots of doors shut in their faces. Opportunities lost, shoved out of the marketplace. They had their own version of the union. It's not like the union today, but because they were uh, in those trades, they were sometimes shoved out of the work. And so it cost them their livelihood. The church in Philadelphia knows what it was like to have doors shut in their face. They felt like, well, losers. They wanted to be losing, to winning, but they just couldn't. They needed a victory. You ever had that? Where it felt like you were always losing and you just like for once to have a victory. Victory over this problem in your life. Victory in your finances. Victory in your health. Victory over that addiction in your life. As try as you might, you might go for a time and then you fail. And what Jesus is going to tell us is this. He's going to remind us that we'll stay firm and keep following Him even when it's hard. He is the sovereign one who gives us the victory. Look at verse 8 and 9. I know your works. I know that you have tried and failed, but I know that you tried. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Pause. That open door in the New Testament, this idea of an open door comes up frequently and it always has to do with opportunities to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And that church in Philadelphia with all of the opposition being this little teeny weeny weak poor church continued there until after World War I. And no one actually snuffed them out. After World War I, the Christians said, Let's leave Turkey and go to Greece. It's safer for us there. 1900 years, there was a church there. That's an open door. Let's continue. I know that you have but little power, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Listen to the idea of little power. It probably meant that they were numerically small. It, therefore, they meant they had no influence in the world around them. They weren't influencing politics. They weren't influencing the arts. If they had a Hollywood, they, their voice was silenced. That's what it meant to be weak and poor. And poor probably just meant they didn't have a lot of money. They were persecuted. But they had kept His Word and had not denied His name. This idea of keeping the Word when Jesus, after He rises from the dead, He issues the Great Commission. He tells the church, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe. That means obey or keep all that I have commanded you. It's hard for you to be a Christian, Philadelphians. Everyone's pressuring you. They're attacking you even. 
Because you won't do what they're doing. You won't go along to get along. You won't bow the knee and say, yes, sin is good. You're not doing that. And you're not denying my name. They were pressured to deny the name of Jesus. Maybe not in private, but in public. Just say that Caesar is Lord and stop talking about Jesus. And then we'll leave you alone. But they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't lie to make life easier. Some who were Jewish Christians, they were pressured. Listen, this Jesus, stop believing that. Come back to the synagogue and leave this Jesus stuff aside. And so he's reminding them who he is. And he's praising them. He sees their efforts. He knows that they're not strong in that place. But they've been faithful. Keep being faithful. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus is talking about making winners out of losers. If you've ever felt like a loser, is that an ugly word to say? I don't know. I've felt like a loser in my life. If you ever felt like you're always losing, Jesus says, look, I will make you a victor. You are more than conquerors. They didn't look like winners to anybody. But Jesus praised their works and faithfulness, and he promised to make conquerors out of them. See, victory in the Christian life does not depend on your ability. It doesn't depend on your skill, your strength, your wealth. Our victory is in Jesus alone. I will make you a conqueror. They will bow before you. In our lives, we have all kinds of opponents. We have, there's three basic categories that they all fall under. You ready? The world, the flesh, the devil. Sometimes we want to quickly go to the devil made me do it, but I'm not sure that's the place to start. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. If you ever tried and failed to live a righteous life, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. The world, well, that's the things around us that tempt us and pressure us and entice us to sin. They had a thing I remember about 10 years ago for Las Vegas. And they had the picture of some ladies hanging around a pool after obviously having a night on the town in Vegas. And then a girl sees the picture that a friend took, closes the phone and throws it in the pool. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Come on out to Vegas. Sin all, all week long and we won't tell anybody about it. That's enticing. Sin, fun, you won't get caught. You get to go back to your old life and everyone still thinks you're one of the good guys or good girls. See, our world tempts us, entices us. Our friends tempt us and entice us. The moment I started to follow Jesus Christ for serious, all of a sudden my friends were like, this guy's weird now. He's got all these weird beliefs and he's not, he's not going to the parties anymore. On the New Year's lock-in that I served in youth ministry the first time and that didn't run me out of youth ministry, I went on New Year's to the youth lock-in as a leader with a bunch of kids I didn't know instead of going out to the bars. That was weird to them. You see, Jesus was changing me. When you start to follow Jesus, there will be opponents, friends who pressure you. The world will tempt you. The flesh will lead, want to lead you back into sin. And sometimes we fail, but Jesus says, don't give up when you fail. Keep getting up. I will give you the victory. 
There is great encouragement in knowing that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Just listen. I almost left it out because I said too many verses in one sermon. But the fact is, this thing preaches itself. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What shall we say to these things? This is a rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Just think about where he has been by the time he gets to these words in Romans chapter 8. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death. We were all facing God's wrath. But now, through faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, not works, we have peace with God. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? The world might be against us. But the bottom line is, you're going to be a conqueror. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can, he, who, he who condemns. Jesus Christ is the only one who can do it. But Christ is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That means he's talking to the Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two things in that passage which connect with our passage this morning. Number one, nothing's going to separate you from the love of Christ. There were people that were telling them, this Messiah isn't a Messiah, but even if He is, He doesn't love you because you're not Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah. Complete misunderstanding of what the Old Testament predicted. And what He is saying is this, nothing will separate you from this. Love of God. And you're more than a conqueror. Not only are you more than a conqueror, you are at peace with God. And that is the reason, the ground, the basis, the foundation of this fact. We have peace with God. Therefore, Jesus goes on in verse 10 and 11 to remind us that He is the Savior who spares us from His wrath. Verse 10 and 11. Because you have kept My word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. I want you to catch this. It is not, this passage is, a, is not a pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps passage. This is a statement, your faith, you are weak and strong, but hang on. Keep holding on. I'm not late. I'm on time. I will come soon. So what is this that he's talking about? The hour of trial. 
Here's what he's talking about. First off, Jesus promises to spare believers from a thing called the Great Tribulation. I want to place this out so you don't miss it. The Bible talks about hardship and tribulation all over the place. It, the tribulation you read about, that uh, there's two kinds. There's tribulation that is the wrath of man turned against the church. People do face this. In China, they have their churches bulldozed. The cross is ripped off of their buildings. And on and on it goes. It's been this way since the beginning of the church. That is tribulation of man. The great tribulation is another matter altogether. That's what shows up in chapter 6 of Revelation all the way through chapter 9, 19 rather. That is God Himself pouring great wrath and judgment upon the dwellers of the earth. That's what Jesus is talking about there. He says, don't, you, you're tempted to look like them so you can avoid their wrath. Well, guess what? If you want to be counted among their number, you are being counted among the number of people that I am going to dispense wrath and judgment upon. And that is far worse than what man can do. That's why Jesus said something along the lines of, well, don't fear the ones who all they can do is kill you and do nothing more. Fear the one who has the ability to cast you into hell. See, man's wrath sometimes is really great. But it pales in comparison to the wrath of God. Perhaps that's why a lot of churches don't want to talk about it, but it's in our Bibles. And Jesus talked about it. And He doesn't lie. He is the truth. And so he has this promise here. Because you are saved by faith, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God, therefore not appointed unto wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says this, talking a lot in this book of Thessalonians about uh, the end times. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. By faith in Jesus, you have peace with God and you are not a target for His wrath. He loves you. You stand in His grace, Romans 5. I think it's verse 5. But I want you to know, if you have not yet come to Jesus for salvation, the bullseye of His wrath is still on you. I don't take joy in telling you that. But it is the truth from God. Repent and believe in Jesus today. Jesus promises to spare His, his faithful, His believers, His flock from His wrath. And He will also reward us. Verse 12 through 13, Jesus reward, reminds us that he is the Savior who promises to reward the faithful. Look at verse 12 through 13. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. You might be driven away from your friends and family because of your faith in me, but you're going to stand in the temple of God, always in his presence. No one can cast you out. And I will write on him the name of my God, an honored name. People might be calling you names, this, that, the other. You're a judgmental jerk. You Christians believe this, and that's hateful. Listen, God says you're going to have the name of my God placed upon you. 
and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What the Spirit is saying to the churches is this. At times you might feel like you're always losing. Whether it's because of your own weakness, the strength of Satan, the temptation of the world. But he says, don't forget who I am. Hang on. Because I am in control. Hang on. Because while you might feel like you're losing time, I will give you the victory. Hang on. Because I promised to spare you from my wrath. Pause. I forgot to say one important thing. As Christians, we might have got the idea that salvation is God sparing us from Satan. Hell was not made for Satan or for a man. It was made for Satan and the devils. Salvation is God saving us from Himself. And I remember saying this to a, a group of very seasoned Christians who had grown up in the church. And then after I said it, she looked at me and goes, my lands. Because that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is telling us He is stronger than all this world around us. He's not saving you from Satan. He's saving you from His own wrath, which is far worse. And at the end of it, it is Satan too who is destroyed because Jesus is that strong. Jesus says, hang on. Because by salvation, by grace through faith, you've been spared from the wrath of God. And I am the one who rewards you for your faithfulness. The faithful are promised that they will be honored by God and dwell in His presence forever. No tongue can bid me hence depart. We are promised heaven. The judgment for sinners that Jesus warned about and the rewards He promised the faithful serve to encourage us to remain faithful even when times are tough. So Jesus says, stay faithful, beloved. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Stay faithful. For the Christian who has struggled and perhaps had victory, this rings true, doesn't it? That God gives you the victory. But maybe this morning you're struggling. I'm not sure if you are going to taste the victory. I've got news for you. Not in your own strength. You say, how do you know, preacher? Because I lived that. Christ delivered me from a lot of things. And He can deliver you. But whether victory comes today, tomorrow, next year, or ten years from now, Jesus says, hang on. I see your works. I see your effort to please me. Perhaps this morning as our praise team comes, what we see in the book of Revelation is it's tough stuff. And a lot of times it's not preached because it's tough stuff. And a lot of times Christians, when we come, when we think about unbelievers, we're afraid to offend them by telling them the truth. Sometimes Christians are afraid to offend, to offend you if you're an unbeliever, by telling you the truth. But here's what God's Word says. 
Judgment day is coming, but he has offered salvation from that judgment through his son, Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. That's why the Bible said he was holy. He died on the cross in your place. Because he was sinless, his sacrifice was accepted. And he rose again the third day. The Bible calls all men everywhere to repent. All women everywhere every and children. Repent. Turn from sin. Turn to Jesus in faith. He will save you. And He will reward your faithfulness. Please stand for our song of invitation. This morning, if you'd like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I invite you make your way to the front. I'll help you call on Him. He will hear you. And He will save you. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.